Alright, good morning everybody. We're finishing off the last couple of verses of 2 Peter today. After this, we're actually going to go into a couple of weeks of just standalone topics. Uh, and then we're going to be heading into a season of Advent beginning the last week of November. So November, I think it's 27th. Um, we will be uh, starting Advent then. Um, and so, yeah, today we finished off Second Peter. It feels like we've been doing Second Peter for a while now, but it's only really been uh, two months. So if you're, you, you've missed most of it, or if you've, you're joining us for the first time, Second Peter is Peter's farewell letter to the church. Okay? And what Peter is writing and what he's offering to the church is his last words of encouragement to the church to follow Jesus and to never stop growing in your walk and faith. You see, Peter, Peter's one of those disciples. He's, he's part of the inner circle of Jesus, right? Like we know that as Jesus had 12 disciples, he had three which he, he kept close to himself. One was Peter, one was John, and the other was James. And, and Peter was the one that when Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Peter answers with the most profound thing. Peter says, you are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus confirms Peter and says, on this rock, I will build my church. What a big confirmation for Peter. I mean, if those that don't know, Peter's name literally means rock. But Jesus says, I'm going to build on this foundation of you knowing that I am the Messiah and that I am the Son of God. And so Peter is this guy that Jesus says, I'm going to use you to build my church. But if you read a couple of verses after that, Peter stumbles so badly that Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Wow, that's Peter. That's who this guy is. Peter's also the guy that denies Jesus while Jesus was arrested, but, Jesus, but Peter was also the one who gave the first sermon that started the church. This is why Peter is so relatable to us, but it's also why Peter has such authority. Peter writes his letters to the church with the authority that's given by Jesus. And as we have gone through most of this letter today, we come to the conclusion. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to read from 14 to 18, and it says this. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. And as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorance and the unstable twist to their own destructions, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away from the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So let me just pull out a couple of main points that I see here, then I'll bring everything together. First thing that I see here is that the time that we live in as a time of salvation. The second thing is that the authority of Peter is writing 
with comes alongside the same authority that Paul has in his letters, and even though they are hard to understand sometimes. And third, the misinterpretation of Scripture can lead us to destruction. And fourth, guard yourself from said error and destruction by growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And finally, remember what matters most is the great goal of God in your life, and that's Jesus to be glorified. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word and for your encouragement and for your scripture. And Lord, as we look into your scripture, Lord, we, we ask for your spirit to fall. We ask for your spirit to come and land on our, uh, on our spirit. And Lord, may you encourage us, encourage us today by your word, by your scripture, by your spirit. So Lord, we just look towards you. We ask that as we hear your words, let our lives be transformed in a way that we worship you. We pray all in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the last couple of verses, this is Peter's last push. Peter brings everything that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks back together, and he says, this is what you need to do. He says, that since you're waiting, we're in a time of waiting, do these things. What things? Well, to be diligent in living without spot or blemish and to be at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Peter is telling us how to think about the time and the delay that we live in before the second coming. Last week, Eugene brought a solid sermon about the timing of grace, right? That we were living in this time of grace. And, and Eugene brought out that this story that we find in Luke 4 where Jesus goes to the temple and he unrolls the scroll and he reads from the passage of Isaiah 61. And it says this, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then in Luke 4, it says that Jesus deliberately stopped there and he rolled up the scrolls and he sat down. And Eugene brought this revelation that Jesus put a punctuation there that that period is the period of grace that we're living in. And that that period was put there on purpose because Jesus goes on to say in Luke 4, today this scripture, so this first part, has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus says, I've come and I've fulfilled this part. This part of it that we're living in to bring the news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, opening the prisons who are bound, this stuff is what we're, is, is being fulfilled today. This is what the church is doing. This is the period of grace that we're living in. So Jesus says that I have fulfilled this scripture as you're hearing it right now. Because this period that we're living in, as Eugene has, has, has labeled it, the period of grace, is the same thing as Peter is saying, that to be patient during this time, to see this time, as salvation. 
that this time between the first and second, of, second coming of Christ is the age of salvation in which the Savior has come and opened the way of God and that we are in a time where we come into relationship with God to be the church, to extend his kingdom. Because when Jesus returns, this time of salvation will be closed. The veil between heaven and earth will be taken down and the judgment and vengeance will come down. That means the second part of Isaiah 61 will come with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Peter understands this so deeply within his spirit. Peter's perspective of this is because he saw the full glory and majesty. And he knows that when Jesus returns, that's it. Church, if we're honest, we don't often think about living in a place of seeing Jesus' majesty. We tend to live life with Jesus by our side and not as our goal and prize. Jesus becomes a good companion on the road trip of life instead of Jesus taking the wheel. Peter reminds us and tells us that what we are to partake in the divine nature of God. And as part of a church, we are to keep this truth in living for holiness and sound doctrine. Because at the end of your life, what matters and what you leave behind and what people remember you for is not how much money you have made or the accolades that you've accomplished or even the empire that you think you're building. What people will remember you by is the character that you had in getting there. As followers of Jesus, the characteristics that we have and work on is your faith, your virtue, your knowledge, your self-control, your steadfastness, your godliness, your brotherly affection and love. These are the characteristics that you will be remembered by. People that live in this time of salvation keep this perspective. This is what matters. We sit in this place, and Alex brought this up during our, our, our prayer time, that there's this tiredness, there's this fatigue that we, we, we f seem to be feeling. And let me remind you, church, that even the early church, even the church that Peter is writing to right now, feels that same fatigue. That the church, even though Jesus only died about 30, 30 years ago, they're waiting for Jesus' return right away. They expected Jesus to come back in their lifetime. Remember, we, we, we talked about that, how, how, how even that early church, only 30-something years after Jesus died, was waiting for Jesus to come back. We're sitting at 2,000 years later, and we're still in that place of waiting for Jesus to come back. But this is that, that time period, right, of grace. This is that time period of salvation. And what Peter is telling us is that remember that this is for your salvation, for those that are here today that don't know who Jesus is or have not made Jesus a, a, a part of your life. This is your time. The time of salvation is Jesus giving that time for us as a church and the opportunity for us to come into relationship with him. That we come into a place of knowing that he died on the cross for us, that he loves you, and that he has come to redeem you. That's what this time of salvation is about. The time of salvation is living in a place where we understand what Jesus has come to do and fulfill on this earth. And as a church, we continue his ministry until he comes again. Because when the second coming comes, 
when Jesus comes back, he's going to tear, tear down that veil that splits heaven and earth. And heaven and earth will become one again. And by that time, it's too late because God's judgment and his vengeance will come. This is the time of salvation. This is your only chance. This is the only life that you will have to live. You do not know when Jesus is coming back. Jesus is only, he, he says, he's, I'm going to come like a thief of the night. You don't know. He's going to come when you least expect it. And so how do you live matters. What you live for matters. What you're doing matters. Right? All of those things matter because this is the age of salvation. Salvation isn't a one-time thing. Salvation isn't just believing in Jesus Christ and saying, God, I love you. Save me from who I am. Salvation is a process. Salvation is you living every single day of your life, becoming more and more holy. Your salvation is you living every single day of your life, becoming more like Jesus. That's what it's about. And so Peter understands this. Peter's urging the church, he's like, don't, don't be lazy in this. Don't be sleepy in this. Don't be tired in this. Don't be fatigued in this. Look towards Scripture. If you're tired, look here. Okay? If you're tired, read this book. Because Peter gives us, continues to say in, in this conclusion here, he says, look, everything that I've written, he brings Paul into this. Now, there's a lot of people, especially now actually in contemporary Christianity, that a lot of people like to have this... It feels it's almost fashionable, okay? Let's have this idea where Paul and Peter didn't get along. And it's supported in, in a certain way. In Galatians 2, Paul and Peter actually has a little bit of a scuffle where Peter, being a Jew, kind of distanced himself from, from the Gentiles. And Paul calls him out on that. He's just like, what are you doing? Like, we know that Jesus came to die for everybody, that he... he he came to die for the Jews and the Gentiles. Why are you separating yourself from them? Because one on one hand, you're eating with them and you're, 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 you're saying that Jesus is for everybody, but now because you're in the presence of these holy Jewish people, you, you, you step away from the Gentiles. What are you doing? Paul calls him out on that, and Paul calls him out publicly on that. And so there's this discussion that Paul and Peter don't get along, but here in Scripture, we actually see Peter actually coming into that place and saying, everything that Paul writes, I'm confirming that he's an apostle, that what we're doing together is of the same thing. In Romans 2, Paul writes, Or do you presume the riches of his kindness and forbearance, patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is a day of salvation. Paul and Peter literally are writing about the same thing. Literally the same thing. That they are writing the same thing because... All scripture is inspired by God, right? So Peter goes and he calls out that God is withholding judgment in the act of restraint or forbearance, the word that we use to see here in the scriptures. He's restraining himself. And it, it's to give you time for repentance and salvation. 
And here we clearly see that Peter calls Paul's support to show that there is agreement among the apostles. When Peter warned that there are false teachers, many will reject the second coming. The apostles stand united in saying that Christ is coming. And the time while, he, while it's delayed, it's for our salvation. Then Peter gives us a little bit of this pastoral moment. He says, there are some things in, in them, in Paul's writings, that are hard to understand. Peter doesn't say this to discourage us from reading or growing in our knowledge of Scripture. He says this because sometimes those that don't know Scripture well will twist it. And this is the warning that Peter is giving against us to, to those false teachers. Those that twist scripture to fit into their lifestyles. We've talked about this for, for four weeks, actually. That they will twist scripture. And they're going to be scoffers that tell us that we need to live for ourselves. But I believe that Peter is also saying that scripture sometimes is strange and complex because scripture reveals the mind of God and it is written through the inspiration of the spirit to reflect the mind of God, which is vastly greater than our mind. The goal here is to come, is, is not just to come into full understanding, but it's to grow in your understanding, to do your personal study, but also to study with your church community in small groups but also to keep those that preach the word accountable to preaching the whole counsel of God. That's why in James it says those who teach are judged more strictly, right? Peter goes on to say, say that those which are ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scripture. In other words, the interpretation of scripture is a matter of life and death, okay? That's why James put that emphasis, those who teach are going to be judged differently. Why? Because the internal destiny of people that are following hangs on what the teacher has to say. How the teacher interprets these scriptures. These are false teachers le leading people away from the gospel and away from Jesus. These are ones that are not teaching a doctrine that Jesus is part of. These are teachers that teach about good living and not holy living. One of the things that we talked about is that sometimes these teachers don't need to actually be teachers, that these teachers are just the, the information that we're bringing into ourselves. We talked about how, how sometimes the scoffers may not look like an actual scoffer, but they are just the, the, the short TikTok clips that, that lead us away from who Jesus is, that we need to live in a life for ourselves and we live in a place for ourselves and that we live in a place where we live for the pleasures of life. Sometimes these false teachers could, be, could look like a lot of those teachers that are teaching deconstruction. Now, don't get me wrong here. I don't think deconstruction is bad. I just think that deconstruction without the proper reconstruction is bad. We need to sometimes deconstruct some of our theology, some of the things that, that we may have misunderstood or some, some of the teachings that have been brought to us. But we need to reconstruct 
that same theology on the person of Jesus. Okay, church? I don't want you guys to hear this term deconstruction and feel, oh, watch out, this is bad. Okay? There is a movement where I believe that deconstruction is moving very fast. I, I've seen this. Maybe oh, this will date me. I've seen this 20 years ago when I was in seminary. It was called, called the Emergent Church at that time. Right? Um, and we're seeing it again. It's coming up back up again. But we always go to that place that, oh, this is bad. Then we'll never have the discussion in order to bring Jesus back into that conversation. Church, I want you guys to look at deconstruction with the eyes of reconstruction on the person of Jesus. Can we do that? That when we, when we hear friends and family and, and those that are close to us saying, you know what, there's things that I'm going through, I want you to validate the things that they're going through, okay? Because it's a very deep emotional and very deep personal thing. But in order for you to speak Jesus into that place, you need to hear them out first. In order for you to speak Jesus into those, that, that place of, of confusion, you have to have that trust and that, that relationship. And so you need to be able to hear them out, hear, hear what they have to say. But then speak Jesus into the, that place again and say, okay, I don't, maybe I disagree with you. Maybe theologically you do. And that's okay, because theologically, as a church, we're all over the place, right? To be honest, we have so many denominations because of that reason alone. But I want you, every single one of you guys here, to be able to speak Jesus into those places. That's your job. Your job isn't to convince them of anything. You're not even there to convince them whether they're right or wrong. That's not your job. Your job is to speak Jesus into that situation and say, and tell them, what is Jesus saying in this place? Okay? That's what we need to do, and that's what Peter is writing about. Peter is... is Towards the end of this verse, I'm jumping ahead of myself. He says that we grow in grace and in the knowledge of who? Jesus. So speak Jesus into those ways. We sang a song today that we said, speak Jesus. Right? Church? It's not a tough theology here. That song is not soaked in doctrine. But... It has tr one truth that is so true is to speak Jesus into all of those situations. Why? Because when we speak Jesus, we speak love. That's it. When we're able to speak Jesus, we're able to speak love. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people, that you lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in knowing this, Peter is saying, guard yourself. By growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. The antidote to deception is to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. This is how Peter starts and ends his letter. Chapter 1, he says the exact same thing. He ends it with grace and knowledge of God and Jesus. Peter's great desire for us is that we could experience God and experience and grow in God's grace. The more we know who Jesus is, the better we understand and therefore experience that grace. Grace is God's kindness. 
Grace is the riches of his mercy. Grace is God's unconditional forgiveness and the free and undeserved but lovingly offered hope of eternal life. Grace is what we crave when we sin. It is what we must have when we die, and it is our only hope when we fear the future. God's grace is everlasting, and it is infinite. Peter's final word to the church is to do what matters most, to live in light of what Jesus has done, that through his death on the cross, that he has reconciled us to God, and that God pours out his grace in which we are now able to partake in God's divine nature and live our lives transformed. Church, God has called us into a transformed way of living. That the way that we live and we change because we are able to see that God, what God has done for us. We grow in grace, okay? We grow in grace. Grace is what allows us to transform uh, in the way that we live, to grow in the knowledge of Jesus, to know who Jesus is. We are given grace to be more like him. And when we grow to be more like him, we grow in virtue, in knowledge, in self-control, in steadfastness, in godliness, in brotherly affection and love. God calls us to love. That's a big story. To love God and to love our neighbors. To love is to share God's life. Peter is calling us five stones to do what matters most. To live in a way that gives glory to God, to remind us of what the church is to be. To know God's word for ourselves and to guard ourselves from false teachers and scoffers and to guard ourselves from taking in false teaching and false way of living. The message of Second Peter is that the joy of hope is in the power of godliness. The knowledge of God's promise is the pathway of his power. And the promises, the power and the hope and the godliness are all because of his grace. And so the book ends. And he leaves us with our wor these words, to him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. That everything that we do is for the glory of God. That everything we do is to live for eternity. That we are to live as eternity people. Don't lose sight of that, church. Don't lose sight that we are to live for eternity, not for this life for eternity. This life will be a blip in what is in, in eternity. So when we focus on this, it's not worth living for yourself. It's not worth living for those accolades. It's not li worth living for the money. It's not living for that empire that you want to build. That all of this is gone the second that you die but your soul and your spirit is not. So where will you be? What are you living for? Peter tells us exactly what we need to live for here in his letter. So he's telling you, church. He's urging you, church, because he wants, he wants you guys to be able to live in that fullness. And he's saying, do this. This is what matters. 
Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your mercy, for your grace. And Lord, we ask for your peace, and as we grow in knowing who you are, Lord, we just ask for you to just pour out your grace into our lives so that we can live for you. Lord, take whatever it is that we need to repent of, to repent of those things, to turn towards who you are. Lord, may you be our prize. May you be our goal. May we live for eternity's sake. And Lord, we, we come to this place as a church and, and say to you be the glory. May our lives be a reflection of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The name of Jesus. You know what John brought today was just a powerful call to read the word of God. You know, it's, it's the anchor upon which we build our faith. You know, John called Jesus literally the living word. And what the Lord showed me today is we have this scene in the Old Testament where Moses wants to see the face of God. And God hides him in a cleft and then walks by because not even Moses, in, in all the faith that he had to walk with God, could see the full face of God. It, it, it's too much for, for man. And the word is that same thing. When we read the word, the word is the cleft, and we see little bits of the glory of God as it passes by us as we read it. You know, if, if we could read the Bible without God working in us, um, it would be meaningless. It would just be words. But he's there every time we read it because he is spirit and he is truth. And that is what the word is. It is spirit and it is truth. And it gets declared every time we read it. So, you know, there's this call upon us that Jesus is coming. And when we talk about doing what matters most, it's, it's, it's knowing our faith is anchored in the word. It's anchoring ourselves. It's, it's reading that word so that we understand all the things that we do as a church the outreach, the community, the love, the grace, the mercy, they all come out of when we understand who Jesus is, who the person of God is. And we don't know that unless we read his word. You can listen to a lot of sermons, and there'll be punchy lines, and there'll be great you know, conclusions and all these things, but it will never impact you the way that God will impact your heart when you start reading into his word. And, you know, I love the line John said. It's, it's, it's confusing and complex on purpose because it reflects the mind of God and his mind is complex and so far beyond us. And so this isn't meant to be discouraging, but you will never understand all of it. You know, Paul had amazing insight and wrote, most of the New Testament, and yet he did not understand it all. And he never saw the face of God in its, in its, in, it's in, uh, in its completeness until when Jesus comes again and we're all called forward. And so, you know, it's not to me discouraging, but it's, it's meant to be an encouraging thing that as we go in, as we learn, as we read, as we ask him to help us understand he brings that understanding. He's there every time we open that book, whether it's on your phone, whether it's in person, 
whether it's a punchy tagline on a billboard as you walk by, if there is a verse of God that is quoted, he works in that when we read it because he is that word. So, Lord, we just come before you this morning, and we come as a church that just so humbly seeks to do what matters most. We seek to know who you are. We seek to know how to worship you in greater depth and in greater power, Lord. We seek to understand you in greater depth. And, Lord, we know that one of the greatest things you gave us is your word. And, Lord, we just set our parts upon you. And, Lord, we just ask that you show us where to find the time and not even just little bits of time. Show us where to find the best of times, Lord. If we're, if we're morning people, show us how to find morning time. If we're evening people, show us how to find evening time because, Lord, we want to give you our best and you deserve our best. And so, Lord, you know, there's so many verses we read we sometimes don't even know where to start. And so, Lord, we ask that you just, you start in us. And Lord, you just show us little bits day by day, Lord, that you, you grow in us as we just diligently come before you and seek to understand what you're speaking to us, Lord. Yeah, Lord, we just, um, I just see there's some of you that just, there are going to be words that literally pop off the page when you open it, that you're going to, the Lord is going to work through daily devotionals. He's going to work through podcasts. He's going to work through however you get to the word of God. He is going to work in you. It could be worship songs that are just repeating verses, um, but he is going to call those out of you. And he just so wants you to come and read his word and join in his presence and be with him. Bring him your troubles. Bring him your sorrows. Bring him your joys. Bring him everything that you have because he wants to take that and he wants to put you into a place of overflow. He wants to put you into a place of blessing because you're going to then take that and you're going to go out and you're going to pour that out onto people around you. You're, you're going to walk with a new light in your step. The heaviness will be gone and you will have a, a bounce in your step. There will be an endurance to your legs that um, that you've never had before and you know I don't even see it being a conscious thing I think it's just one of those things where there's going to be a joy a light that comes out of you because Jesus is shining out of you and you're you're just going to because you have him inside of you you're going to carry him into places as you go so Lord we just thank you this morning for for the word we thank you for worship and we just thank you for who you are we praise your name in the heavens, Lord. You are a majestic and almighty God. Lord, you were there in the beginnings. You'll be there in the end. And Lord, we want to be a people that focus on eternity with you. Lord, not of the shiny things that glitter and fade in this world, but Lord, that we would set our hearts upon you, upon the things that matter, the true treasures of heaven. So, Lord, come with, be with us this week as we go forth. Be with us as we gather in our cell groups, in our prayer groups, morning prayer, intercessors, Lord. Be with us because, Lord, we need you so much. We need you each and every day. And we pray this in your name. Amen.